Hey everyone, it's Pat. Before we get started, I wanted to offer our deepest sympathies to the family of Jason Rollison. He passed away this evening and lost his battle with stage 4 renal cell carcinoma. He was a great writer, an incredibly positive person, and just a delightful person overall. We wanted to make sure that his family knows that our thoughts are with them in this difficult time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Episode 34 of Dying Alive, technically Season 2, Episode 1. We're going to talk about the Penguins training camp so far. We're going to look at the season ahead. We'll take a look around the NHL. And, as always, we'll take your correspondences. Dying Alive, Episode 34, Season 2, Episode 1. So, as we said... Welcome into the 34th episode of the Dying Alive podcast. I am hosting tonight in place of Jesse Marshall, who is on vacation. I am Pat Damp of the Pens blog, joined by the one and only Mike Darnay of Pensburg. Mike, welcome back. What's up? So how's it going? Oh, I'm here. Well, it looks like once again... Jesse has left us and let he's letting the inmates run the asylum once again. Yeah, he's gallivanting around Italy as we speak. He is busy in Italy looking for the finest olive gardens and the best of luck to him on that really. I mean I, from, I hear they're insane over there. From what I've heard, he's been to at least six so far. That's impressive. That's a lot of unlimited breadsticks. Curious to hear which ones are better than the others. Yeah, I really want to know if um you know Milan has good uh <laughs> Good breadsticks. <laughs> He'll let us know when he's back. Hopefully. So yeah, let's jump right into it. So we're right in the thick of training camp. We only got about a week left before the regular season starts, and uh, the Penguins have played four games so far. They're only they only got uh, only got one win so far, but there's been some positives, and there's definitely been some negatives as well. Uh, one of the first ones that sticks out to me happened right in the very first preseason game this year against Buffalo. The Sabres absolutely barnstormed them when they went to State College and played at Pagola Ice Center. And Casey DeSmith, despite a 5-4 overtime loss, still made 42 saves. Yeah, I didn't see that game, but I remember following along that the Penguins were being outshot like 3-1. to one but were only down a goal or two, and then they came and stormed right back, and it was tied, and then I see that they lost in overtime. Um, but yeah, so I'm not really sure what to expect of the backup goaltender situation going into this season. Which, yeah, we'll definitely uh, we'll get into that here in a little bit. But for me, like that, if I remember it correctly, because uh, that was like three or four days after NHL 20 came out, so I was knee-deep in that. But I had it up on my laptop while I was playing, and I was taking cursory is, glances so over is, at the game. Is knee deep for you, like ankle deep for me? Yeah, basically. Okay. And I, I just remember looking over, and I kept seeing the shot totals rise for Buffalo and not move whatsoever for the Penguins, <laughs> and yet it was still a close score. So Now, um, just something out of curiosity, what kind of lineup was Buffalo rolling in that game? Was it kind of like the split squad that we've seen the Penguins using? It looked more like Buffalo was riding there. More, they were playing more of their NHL caliber okay. players. Uh, you know, I know we can make the obvious joke about Buffalo, but they've actually, I think, done a good job of rebuilding that roster, and they should actually be a lot better this year, especially with Ralph Kruger behind the bench. Um, but you could tell that uh, the Penguins, for the most part, were playing their B squad. Mm-hmm. They were going up against the Sabres A squad, which, regardless of your opinions and thoughts on Penn State if you're playing a novelty game like that you should probably bring out the big guns just for sake of the event yeah if you're if you're looking to quote-unquote grow the game grow the game and just I mean your team had an agreement with whether it be the NHL the Pagulas Penn State whoever you're playing a game in a in a non-traditional non-NHL venue so you should probably it, I mean, at the very least, roll out Sid and Gino and 
you know, build around him, whoever else. If you need to sit Gensel, sit Gensel. Yeah. If you got to sit Latang, sit Latang. They obviously sat Murray and played to Smith. But I, I, th- that's just my personal opinion on that. I don't know where anybody else falls. But th- so w- what you said, what to make of the backup situation. Let's get into that now. Murray played one game. It was the 4-1 win over Columbus at home. But it's largely been DeSmith and Jari playing net in the preseason. As it should be because the Penguins know who the starter is, clearly. So this is your time to try and sort out your backup situation, not two weeks into the season. Yeah, absolutely. And it also gets into the fact that the Penguins still are over the cap. And we're about a week away. Is that, from is that, is that good? I, I'm not a math guy, but can we get a ruling? Uh, snap rolling, not good, not good. So, and so if you were over the cap when the season starts, you were not allowed to play, correct? Whew, that's a good question. I mean, it's probably like the end of the 2015 season when they had to dress 5D because they weren't cap. Compliant. You'd have to send somebody down to get under the cap and play with less than 20 players. So the question that I have here is the backup situation right now. Jari playing a lot, DeSmith playing a lot. You know, obviously part of it is like you said, they know Matt Murray's the starter. Matt Murray has the net this year. He's going to see the lion's share of games. Is this a showcase for GM JR to possibly trade one of Jari or DeSmith? Yeah, I would say possibly but I don't know how much of a showcase it can be when teams uh, have you over the barrel and know that you need to dump somebody in order to get compliant in time for the season to start. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I mean, I mean what, uh, kind, what kind of return are we talking? Like a fourth, fifth round pick at best? When, team, well, when, I don't think it, when teams know you have to get rid of somebody? I think part of it is uh, they might be using one of those two as a sweetener for a deal. Okay. Because obviously you know that, like, they know they're dealing from a position of weakness. They're, yeah. They're, they're trying to get under the salary cap, and they're going to have to unload somebody. But it might be a way of saying, in not so many words to other teams, like, we have two guys on our raw, in our system in DeSmith and Jari who we can move them because we have that's our one of our positions of strength is we have some depth at goaltender. We have Matt Murray who's our starter. We're obviously not doing anything with him. Yeah, we extended Casey DeSmith, but also we still have Tristan Jari who we kept him in Wilkes-Barre last year because it would have been better for him to play as a starter than to play as Matt Murray's backup. Because Casey DeSmith, while he was impressive last year as Murray's backup when he had to step in when there was injury, his ceiling is essentially fringe starter, NHL backup. And for you know maybe a team that is rebuilding near the bottom of the stand, going to be near the bottom bottom of the standings this year, that could be a good uh, a Tristan Jari or a Casey DeSmith could be a good stopgap while you're trying to rebuild your franchise, trying to get the wheels turning on a rebuild and it's not a guy who's incredibly young inexperienced, not as good. He can be kind of a rock back there to maybe lessen the blow of some of the losses you're going to get throughout an 82 game season. And correct me if I'm wrong, but sending either of those guys down would need to clear waivers correctly. Both of them would have that's to. That's what clear. I thought. Yeah. And that's the that's the big issue is that you know neither of them are going to go unclaimed. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we have that not we, but I feel like there is that conversation every year about X player on X team who there's no way he's going to clear, and then there's that flurry of waiver moves where everybody sends guys down and everybody somehow winds up getting through. I mean, I think that's more just a, a volume problem because the, the there were. Training camp roster cuts today, and if you looked at Renaud Lavoie's Twitter feed today, it was like just a dictionary of every team sending nine guys through waivers. So I think at that point, it's kind of an unspoken like, hey, listen, we're trimming our training camp roster. Don't claim. Just let these guys go down. We can talk deal later. And being that, obviously – 
both as far as I could tell, unless I misread it, which is an entirely distinct possibility. I still think both Jari and DeSmith are on the training camp roster. I will check that real quick, though, just to make sure. Well, I was just looking at the AHL roster a little bit ago and didn't see either name on there. Right, because I know their first round of cuts, they sent DiOrio down, and he was the first one of the first goalies to get sent back down to Dior- Wilkes-Barre. Di- DiOrio? What about the Chips Ahoy? I am so, so mad at you right now. No, you're not. Yeah, you're right. I'm not. Yeah, they kept uh, they kept Jari and the Smith. They sent down Emil Larmy, if I said that right. But pretty easy one there. So today the players they sent down that need to clear waivers before they get to Wilkes-Barre are Agazonio, Blandisi, Cramarosa, Churchman, Depauli, Haggerty, and Warsofsky. Yeah, they're all getting through. Yeah, pretty sure they're all getting through. They also, to kind of transition here, they sent two guys who just signed new three-year deals with the Penguins down to Wilkes-Barre. Samuel Pullen has been sent back to Sherbrooke of the QMJHL. And Nathan Ligari has been sent back to Bay Como, also in the QMJHL. I was a little surprised at the Ligari. Not, I don't want to say demotion, but... Them sending him back to junior, I thought he was maybe going to make it through the next round. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I wasn't really that surprised. I mean, I know I saw a lot of pumping of his tires about the possibilities of making the team, and I think it's extremely over or understated how difficult it is for an 18 year old to make an NHL roster. Like, you look at the 18 year olds who have made NHL teams as rookies and produced, it's like Sidney Crosby, Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid. Well, yeah, not not even getting into like the first round or first overall picks and elite talents. Just, I mean, even in general, you look at the eighteen year olds that have made NHL rosters. It's, it's of, yeah, it's not that common. One of the one of our dearly departed from this summer, Oli Mata. I mean, he had an a, an unreal. I believe that was what 2013, 2014, that he surprised everybody and made the made the roster out of camp yeah i think and i think he was even 19 then but still like very little pro experience yeah yeah and it was it was almost impossible for him to make the team at 19 let alone for an 18 year old so the thing i the thing i was saying to a couple people this morning from the pens blog when it came to i believe it's legare not legari i have no idea whatever is I think a lot of hype was surrounding the two goals he scored in 23 seconds. Now, with that in mind, the two goals he scored were goal score as as they say goal scorers goals. Yeah. His shot is absolutely as advertised. You know, Jesse previewed that a while back on the Athletic that that was his main selling point as a prospect and a draft pick that the reason they traded up to get him was that he had an unbelievable shot, and both goals showed that. At first watch, his five-hole goal against Columbus was definitely, like, at first it looked like, oh, wow, he just got lucky on that. Like, you know, there was a scramble off of a face-off at the hash mark, and it managed to land on his stick, and he just jabbed away at it. But then you watch the replay from a different angle. He pulled the puck into his body and fired it yeah. in a scramble. And that's... That's a really, really impressive thing to do as an 18-year-old at the NHL level, even if you're playing in preseason against some of the guys who probably aren't going to end up on the roster. Yeah, like my thought was I had no expectation of him making the team at all, but it was very refreshing to see that kind of offensive upside from a mid-round draft pick. Yeah, and not to mention that he carried himself like somebody who can play at that level. Yeah. We, we obviously don't have Jesse this week, so it's hard to get into a lot of the analytics side of it. Cause that's 100% his lane, but there is something to be said for guys come up to the NHL level in training camp and preseason at a young age. And you can see that the stage intimidates them a little bit. Yeah. They're a little bit hesitant to play their game because you think about it, you play college, you play juniors, you are playing against 
bigger, older competition, but you get to the NHL, you're playing the top 1% of hockey players in the world. And that can be an intimidating factor. The fact that he came in and just said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to play the game that I built my career on, what got me drafted, speaks a lot to the player. Yeah. The other thing that happened in the Columbus game that eased a little bit of our pain from this summer was a power, I believe it was a power play goal from, yes, it was, it was a power play goal from Alex Galchenyuk. Very nice goal. It was exactly what we were told we were going to get out of Alex Galchenyuk. He used a very powerful wrist shot from the half wall, top of the circle, on the power play, and just ripped it past the Columbus goalie, which if that's what we traded Phil Kessel for, that's what we need to get in return. I really, I hope he does well for his own sake because the expectations are going to be so high. Yeah, that's going to be his biggest challenge moving forward this season is that not only is he replacing a point-per-game player in Phil Kessel, a power play quarterback in Phil Kessel, but... A very popular player. Exactly. Yeah. You you trade a guy who was an absolute fan favorite. He had a cult of personality around him. The fans gravitated towards him, and he was beloved in Pittsburgh just for being Phil Kessel more than anything. And that's gone. Yeah, and and that's not Alex Gutchenyuk's fault. It's not, but you know how fans are. Yeah. So I I hope he does well for from that aspect. I do I do too, and and, and even you know let's not let ourselves get bogged down too much in the fact that he is on the last year of his deal Mm -hmm. and he'll be a UFA at the end of the season. One of the things that I'm trying to do going into this season, regardless of the roster makeup, regardless of where the organization is right now, we have to live in the here and now with this team. We're getting very much into the twilight years of Crosby, Malk, and Letang. The the end of the tunnel's coming. We don't know how close it is, but we know it's coming. We need to realize that you maximize the talent every year. You maximize the opportunity every year. And if Galchenyuk can do that, especially for Gino, who needs to come back strong this year, all the better. So now that we've gone through the positives of the preseason thus far, Let's say we we dive into the pessimism. Let me guess where that starts. Uh, I bet it starts with uh, number three. Or number three this year, who didn't even let the body get cold. Man, oh man! I guess if you're, uh, well, I was going to say if you have an only model jersey and want to get it repurposed, it'd be easy to do with the nameplate. But who wants to wear a Jack Johnson jersey? So hopefully, no one. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's not good. It isn't. And the thing that is most infuriating about this is just the fact that there has been coordinated attempts to make him look like he's not as bad as he is. Oh, he's, he's a character guy. Oh, he's great in front. Oh, he, he, he plays big. I don't give a shit. He's played in three preseason games. He's been on the ice for three goals against. In one of them, he scored. Seems good. Now, I will extend an olive branch here. The own goal that Johnson scored was a broken play, a screwed up play. It wasn't like he wound up and fired it past Jari. It was a weird play. I can't remember who it was uh, on the Red Wings that took a shot, but it bounces off of Tyler Bertuzzi's thigh. It somehow lands on Johnson's stick when he doesn't expect it to land there whatsoever. And it somehow, he tries to clear it to the corner, doesn't really get enough on it. It bounces off of Jari's leg and goes in. 
but that's really the only spin I can put on it. Yeah, and there's no reason to think if things are going <coughs> to excuse me get any better. Well, it's nice to see we're picking up Dying Alive right where it premiered <coughs> last summer, where we got one guy on the mic with a compromised immune system. September, September ritual. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, September 10 was the one-year anniversary for Dying Alive, and we're still dying yeah. alive. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about the, I believe it was a Josh Yoey piece on The Athletic about uh, Erica Branson and Jack Johnson being on the same pairing? Because I, I, I had a theory that I put out about this. Now, do you mean the article or the pairing? Just, just the... The, the pairing, the idea. The pairing is terrible. Now, I have a theory. You know, the Redskins are also terrible. I'm watching the game right now. They're so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had a thought on this. Okay, so, so it, let's say and assume for the sake of reality, and I'm pretty sure it is, is the Penguins are hell-bent on Erica Branson and... Jack Johnson both being in the lineup for the team. If they're on different pairings, you have one of the two players on the ice more often than not. If you put them on the same pairing, they both stink, but then you have two pairings that are on the ice more often than they are. I mean, they're going to get scored on a lot, but a pairing with Jack Johnson on it is still going to get scored on a lot, so why don't you just make things worse on one pairing and make your other two better. I don't hate that theory. I, don't I mean, I, mean I don't know if it works in, in practice or what the, the numbers would say about it or how many goals they allow versus how many goals these pairings allow. It also would come down to a lot of deployment and actual ice time. But, I mean, that's kind of my thought is if Jack Johnson is going to bring down pairing B and Eric Branson is going to bring down pairing C – why not make them pairing C and let them just stink it up and have a good pairing A and pairing B? I really don't – I can't argue against that. I mean, I – I mean, like I said, it's, it's still just a theory. No, and I mean, it, it makes sense Cause, cause because – Because the theory goes to hell if every time they step on the ice they allow a goal. Oh, yeah, and you can't out – there's no realistic way you outscore Correct. that. But, I mean, it's, it's a thought. Yeah, I don't hate it. As for the article itself, I did not. I, always, I did not read it. So, I, I always like to tell people, "What did you think Good Branson was going to say?" I did see that aspect of the the conversation without reading the article. Like, like was he going to come out and be like, "Oh yeah, we're both garbage. Like this pairing's yeah. going to suck, guys. Yeah. Buckle up." Like shocking guy who has been playing in the NHL for ten years is, thinks he's a good player. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, and he's not going to – He's especially being a newer guy, he's not going to just sit there and bury people on a team he just got traded yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, what do you expect? And also, I mean, let's call it what it is. From the time he got traded to the Penguins, Branson was perfectly serviceable. Like, yeah, the contract is terrible, but – Rutherford didn't sign it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, not, and, I'm, not, I'm not excusing the trade itself. It wasn't great, but he didn't sign the contract. And for all intents and purposes, Goodbranson was serviceable when he played yeah, for the Penguins. Yeah, he, he, the wasn't, he wasn't a major problem. No, and considering that there was a lot of fatalism surrounding him, that, oh, my God, this defense is atrocious, atrocious which it mostly is at this point. But he was a pleasant surprise. And Yeah, the, the problem is more with the process than the results. Yeah, absolutely. And... If he continues to be a pleasant surprise, great. I'd absolutely love to be wrong about him. Yeah. It just means good things for the team we like. Now, Jack Johnson, on the other hand, that's that's going to be a problem. Yeah, agreed. So moving forward, as we get to the end of camp here, who, if anyone, is on your radar right now to possibly be somebody that you don't expect that's going to step up this year, or even just in general, somebody that we're not really talking about. We're not looking at moving forward as potentially being a difference maker in the season. 
I haven't seen much of the preseason, so I can't say for sure whether he stood out or not. But I'm very intrigued to see Dominic Cahoon get some time with a full talent roster. Agreed with that. I mean, he he played really well as a rookie on a Chicago team that was not very good. I mean, he still you know you still get to play with the likes of guys like Taves and Kane, who are pretty good. But you know, I'm taking the Crosby Mall pairing over the Taves Kane pairing eight days a week. Yeah, and I think on a on a roster that has a little little bit more talent has more of an expectation this year moving forward as potential contenders. He's somebody that you should keep an eye on. One of the players so far, I don't know how, what they have in mind for him, uh, what they're thinking of doing with him, but so far, John Marino on defense has been a very, very pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. He, he made it through this round of cuts. He's still on the roster there he he's been an impact player in basically every preseason game so far and he he is essentially i got to check his age just to make sure i get it right here but 20, 20 he, 22 22 but yes. you know it, it may not be only model levels but it's a relatively unknown it's a guy that we didn't really have on our radar going into training camp, and he's making a case for himself. The coaching staff and management want to keep taking a look at him. And to piggyback off an article that I wrote about two years ago, very cerebral college hockey player. Went to Harvard, very smart guy, obviously, if you go to Harvard. Coachable guy, the the kind of player the coaching staffs love. Right, and... The more I read about him, the more I see in the preseason, he reminds me a lot, and maybe not stylistically or in the way he plays, just the way in which you evaluate him. It reminds me a little bit of a Brian Dumoulin. Mm -hmm. The less you notice him, the better. Yeah, he's not going to put up a ton of points, but if he's doing his job, you're not going to hear his name. Yeah, he's not going to be a guy that wows you night in, night out. He's not going to be a guy that screws up so you're constantly harping over how bad he's playing. He's just steady. Mm -hmm. So the biggest concern that I have moving forward into this season is the fact that the arms race in the Metropolitan Division is on. Yeah, it's a problem. You look through the Metro right now. The Devils obviously drafted Hughes first overall. They add P.K. Subban. The Rangers draft second. They get Capocacco. They add Artemi Panarin. The Hurricanes, who went all the way to the Eastern Conference Final last year, they add Jake Gardner to an already unbelievable defense. The Islanders remain largely the same. The only thing that changes is goaltending, which might be an issue. But still, you're looking at a team that swept the Penguins, gave them all they could handle through four games. And and they have a coach who does more with less. The Caps are still the Caps. They improve their depth, guys like Ponick and Leipzig. Philadelphia, they're, they're kind of in the mushy middle, but they still have a ton of young talent, guys who are developing, guys who are getting better year after year. We love to make fun of them and make fun of their captain specifically, but Claude Giroux is still Claude Giroux. Mm -hmm. He's still a good hockey player. And the only team that really took any steps back are the Penguins and the Blue Jackets. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Blue Jackets lost everybody. Bobrovsky, Panarin left. Uh, Duchesne left. Dezingle left. But, I mean, you look around the division, and it's not hard to think they – it's a really tough division. The two best divisions in hockey right now are the Central and the Metro. Yeah. They are going to be dogfights all season long. So with that in mind, how do you think early on they can they can handle themselves in this division? Um, I feel like they're probably a wild card team again. Yeah, I think that's really where I have. I mean, I have I have Washington and Carolina as like a top tier of the division, 
and then probably have a middle tier that involves the Penguins and the Devils, the Rangers. If if they if their new players have a tendency to figure it out, I mean, with rookies, you never know whether they're going to be lightning in a bottle or have some struggles early on. Um, so, like the high end of the Rangers, I could see being in that middle tier. I could see the Islanders being in that middle tier, but I could also see them being in a lower tier. Um, so I would say somewhere middle of the road in the division. Yeah, I think there's an outside chance they could finish third, maybe second. But I think realistically we're looking at them like getting thir- first wild. Yeah, probably maybe third or fourth. Like first wild card yeah. getting into yeah. the playoffs. Now, when we talk about the teams that made additions, the teams that got better, we do still have to talk about what the Penguins did over the summer. And the one thing I will say, we're, we're getting into October here. We're getting close. A lot of the immediacy, a lot of the emotion, a lot of the snap reactions have gone, right? Like, you know, we're, we're done doing the June and July overreactions. You know, the overreactions when a team wins the cup. Hey, hey, I overreact every fucking day and you're going to like it. That goes against your brand, though. Shut up. If you, I'm just saying, if you overreact, it usually implies it's a big deal. That's fair, but whatever. <laughs> so you got into Cahoon a little bit. I think that's going to be a pleasant surprise this season. I think he'll do really well. We kind of talked about it the last episode, all three of us were together, about Brandon Tanev and how six years was a little much. I don't think, though, in the short term, that Brandon Tanev is going to be a liability. I think this year and next he's going to be a good player on this team. Yeah, and and it goes back to the same thing I mentioned with DeBranson. The results might be okay, but the process, like I was, I believe it was Adam Gretz was talking about how it seems that the Penguins want to utilize him as another version of what they had in Carl Hagelin. You have a speed right. winger who can cut problems, can forecheck, uh, has some skill, doesn't score goals like a pure goal scorer will, but he can score a few. The But then the process comes back into mind where it's like, why didn't you just keep Carl Hagelin? I mean, we it was reported by Elliot Friedman that the Penguins tried to reacquire him even though they were retaining salary on him. So why not just keep Carl Hagelin? So, I mean, I mean, that's where it comes into play for me is – Give Carl Hagelin Brandon Tanev's money for four years, and and that's fine. Okay, you said what I was going to say. He Hagelin was a UFA at the end of the year, so yeah. But I mean, but I mean, point point taken. You know, we talked about it on this show a couple times. The fact that trading Carl Hagelin for the sake of making a trade was stupid. Yeah, and that's all it was. They wanted to shake things up, wanted to send a message, and I guarantee he's going to score multiple goals against the Penguins this year for Washington. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's really the, I mean, we talked about Gouch, we talked about Cahoon, we talked about Tanev. Let's talk about some of the other signings around the National Hockey League. Plan the parade, get the streamers out, get your drinks ready. Braden Point signed in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Uh, so are they going to win a playoff game this year? Win a playoff series? I hope so. I, I mean, I really do. Strictly from the standpoint of what they are building down there is, and that what they have built down there is very reminiscent of 16 and 17 with the Penguins. Mm-hmm. They're fast. They're skilled. They're just playing better than the teams that get in their way. And I, I think I said it on the show before. If they don't do it this year, it has to be Cooper's head. You would think so. Just just because... You, you would think that after last season, you get one more chance to prove that it's not you. Right. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs are the ultimate coin flip. It, it's, yeah, sure, it's seven games, blah, 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 the best team can win, but nobody had Columbus beating Tampa Bay, especially not in a sweep. Hell, there was a time on, on this show and on the internet and all the pundits were worried, even with all the big moves that Columbus made, they weren't even going to make the playoffs. 
So that just shows how ridiculous the playoffs are. Yeah. There, there's, like, you know, you've been saying it all show. It's not the results, it's the process. The process in Tampa Bay is incredible. The fact that Point is signed for three years, 6.75 per, is nuts. Yeah, and I think part of that comes into play with teams who are built the way they are, with the potential they have. Players will be willing to take a little less to be, <coughs> excuse me, part of a team like that. But to go to the other big RFA signing, I have to ask, will they be willing to take a cut? Because one, of, in, one in, of them didn't. In, in this case, nope. The big drama in Toronto gets resolved. Mitch Marner puts pen to paper for a six, was it five or six? I believe it was six years. Six year, 10.893 AAV. Okay, so, so here's my question. He's going to be making almost $11 million for the next six years. When it comes time to re-up that, he's only going to be 28. What kind of contract is he going to get then? Well, if he lives up to the $10 million, I mean, well, and I mean, even if, even if he doesn't, it, 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 when you have, I, be, I believe at 28, he'll be hitting the market as an unrestricted free agent. Yes. I mean, a lot of these guys who are hitting unrestricted free agency because the way the general managers and, and the CBA structure the RFA years and years of accrued service and all this, you have guys not hitting unrestricted free agency until they're 31 or 32. They get that seven-year deal, and it's like, ooh, that's a bad contract. Now, who, who knows what the CBA will be in six years, what the term limits on contracts will be, but imagine they're the same. You have no problem giving a guy – seven, eight years at age 28. Like, that that's going to be a monster contract come then. Yeah. And, and I, we also have to preface it with, assuming the league doesn't get in its own way, which that is a gigantic if, but they also have voted to basically keep the CBA in place and just hammer out some details on the outside. So we're not... Yeah, the... Uh, the- Semantics and the optics on both sides from the Players Association and the owners in the league have been very positive from what I've seen so far. So they're, they're, we're not headed for a lockout, which thank God. At least not yet. I mean, things can change, but I mean, things can change, especially when you're dealing with Don Fear, when you're dealing with billionaires. But I mean, we knew well in advance of the lockout going into 2012 that it was coming or 2011. Um 2013 is when it was. 2012, yeah, 2012 into 2013. Uh, we knew well in advance that it was coming. You could just tell by the the nastiness from both sides. Then um, doesn't really seem like anybody wants another work stoppage. No. So that basically tells me that including a CBA that's going to be extended and a new TV rights deal that's going to come in this, the United States here in the next couple of years, the cap's going to continue to climb. So yeah. in about five, six years, Mitch Marner's contract will still be on the high end, but it's not going to be one that you go, yeesh, why, that, that doesn't look great, or wow, now he's going to have to get paid a lot more. Like It's going to be like, okay, that's that's the going market for an elite winger. Yeah, I mean, I remember looking at something, I want to say Sidney Crosby's $8.7 million contract when he signed. That was me. When he's what? That was me. I wrote that on Penn's blog. No, no. What I was going to say was um, the percentage of his con- his contract to the cap when he signed his second was like fourteen or fifteen percent something. Yeah, that again. That I wrote that on Penn's blog. Oh, I I never read it. I'm sorry. Then where did you read it, Mike? Then where did you read it? I was just reading it myself, figuring <laughs> out the percentages. But Marner's is like ten percent or something. Yeah. So it, it, it's. It's on its face because we're so conditioned to look at any contract north of ten million dollars as oh my god this guy got the he got all the money. If you if you look at it strictly from a dollar standpoint, it's always going to look like an overpay. Yeah, but if you look at the percentage of cap, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, especially when the cap keeps going up. 
Then on the other side of it, there are two big RFAs and a few. I mean, there's a whole slew of RFAs that still haven't signed as we record this on Monday, September 23rd. The big one is Patrick Line. And he doesn't seem to be in any hurry. No, he doesn't. And it's it's a weird situation for him in general because while we all know that last year was probably an outlier, it was probably not who Patrick Line is as a player as a whole, he doesn't have a ton of leverage. No, he doesn't. Like, yeah, I think we all know that he is going to continue to be an elite goal scorer in the National Hockey League. But when you have a down year like Patrick Laine did in your last year of your entry-level deal, you're not negotiating from a position of strength. Yeah, because even if he had gone to arbitration, which that ship has sailed, but if he had, they go by raw numbers and you're going to come out way low. Do you think that gets done? Do you think they... I think it, I think or? it does because, I mean, both players, agents, GMs alike, they don't want players missing time from the regular season. I think, I think they'll get done. Now, do you think it'll be a William Nylander kind of situation where he holds out until December and they eventually iron it out? Maybe. And the, the Jets are in an interesting situation with Dustin Bufflin trying to figure his future out through because they had to I believe it was um, Pierre Lebrun wrote about it that the Jets <coughs> excuse me the Jets had to suspend him in order to protect the salary but it's not like they're suspending him for not being there they're kind of cool with him waiting to figure it out yeah and that's that's definitely kind of an issue for the Jets right now is the fact that one of their big names is really at the end of the day he's contemplating his future in the sport. Yeah. Like it, it's not it's not a family thing, not that you downplay that ever, but it's simply the fact that he's got a lot of miles on that body and he's really concerned if he can continue being a National Hockey League player. So we'll see, we'll see what happens with Line A. There's also uh, Matthew Kachuk is still unsigned. It's Matthew that's in Calgary, right? Correct. He's still unsigned. Uh, Miko Rantanen in Colorado still remains unsigned. So, I mean, for me personally, the way I look at this is I I really enjoy the fact that the culture around the NHL is changing and that young, talented franchise players aren't doing the oh, well, you know, I want to be there for the boys and I want to, you know, be a part. Like, they're saying, no, fuck you. I'm the yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm the one selling tickets. Pay me. Yeah. What do you say? I think it's time to hit the music, right? Yeah. All right, Mike, what do we got? Who's coming in hot this week for our return? Okay. Uh, Chris Kraft asks, what was the best thing you did over the summer? I worked a lot. Uh, probably mainly just golfing with you a lot. That was yeah, pretty big. Yeah, I worked a lot and golfed a lot. That's about all I did all summer. Uh, every every summer I do, a, uh, I do a pickup hockey game with a bunch of guys I played hockey with in high school. And we did that early August, and that's always always a blast. That's a good answer. Um, David James asks, do you rake the leaves in your yard, assuming you have one, or do you pay the neighborhood kids to do it? I haven't had to rake leaves in years. I have no trees that drop leaves, at least in my yard. They might end up in, like, the street nearby, but none in my yard. The house I grew up in as a kid, we did get a lot of leaves because we had a giant tree in our front yard, so I did rake Mm -hmm. leaves a lot as a kid and through college. Uh, Kevin Reuter has two questions. One, who's the Penguins' breakout performer of the 2019-2020 season? I'm sticking with Cahoon. I think he's going to have a big year. Um, Assuming we're going breakout performance-based, not age-based, I'm going to say Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, I think, I I mean, as much as, as it is fluff from 
Rossi at the athletic. Like I really think there's something there with the way Gino trained this this offseason. Yeah. And follow up, which potential call up are you most excited about? I mean, I know I remember seeing this one on Twitter. Uh, I know he mentioned Lafferty. I think he's still a year or two away. Um, I mean, Adam Johnson. He, he, yeah. We eventually got to see him. Yeah, I, I imagine we won't see either of them this year. Um, but I would look forward to, even if it's just a couple games, maybe a call up of a player like Kalen Addison. Yeah, I think Addison. Will, it would be nice to see Addison get a few games at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean, I mean that would probably require a bad injury situation, which you don't want. But I mean, that would be the positive aspect of something like that. Uh, Mike asks, which Game of Thrones character best represents Jack Johnson? He says, I think it's the drunken fool that Joffrey force feeds the wine until he pukes. That's that's a good answer. I was gonna go with Littlefinger. Um, he's not the Littlefinger. Not overly impressive. Not somebody you really like. But he's just he was always there. Yeah, that's good. I was gonna say Hodor because he's big and dumb. <laughs> uh this isn't really. I guess it is a question. Peep asks for a Mount Rushmore ranking of things to do in the fall. And I'm going to read his, for example. One is watch football. Okay. Two is also watch football. Okay. Three is maybe turn on a Penguins game, but switch to football after Jack Johnson takes a stupid penalty. <laughs> and four is think about going apple picking, but watch football instead. <laughs> Sensing a theme on this one. I mean, uh, I mean, spending a Sunday watching football is definitely good. Yes, like he he hit that nail on the head. Uh, like even even a non Steeler Sunday, you just leave red zone on from noon till seven o'clock, and then switch to Sunday night football. Right. Oh my God! What a day! What a day! I, uh, I I'm a big proponent of fall golf when it's like fifty degrees. Yeah, dude, fall golf. If when you when I'm get, not if you, roasting. If you can get if you can get eighteen holes in on a crisp fall day, yeah. Oh. Um, I would say making chili makes my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, similar thing is like adding to kind of the football Sunday is like eating terrible food and drinking beers all day while you enjoy football Sunday. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good Mount Rushmore, I think. Uh, let's see. Jay asks, upcoming pairings you think we might see, or who'd you like to see together? Well, you got you got the Jack Johnson Good Branson one in, and, and um, um, I will give it time to see if my theory is proven poor. But but that's my that's my theory. I'm going to ride with is let them play together and hope that the other two pairings good outweigh the bad of that pairing. So let's see. You would obviously have Latang Dumoulin. And then Johnson, Goodbranson, Pedersen, 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 and Schultz. Yep. I mean, you got two good. You got four good players on two pairings and two bad players on one. I mean, you might as well load up. That's, that's how I feel. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Morgan asks, "What comes first, the Penguins actually trading Jack Johnson to make cap space?" Or the inevitable death of Earth via the sun eating the planet? Third option. The Penguins finally trade Jack Johnson to get cap space. The sun engulfs the planet the next day. Yeah. I mean, I remember the reactions to when the Penguins traded Rob Scuderi. Can you imagine the reactions if they're able to trade Jack Johnson? I don't know if the Penguins will tweet at you this time about it, but uh, well, I have I have made an initiative to behave. So. <laughs> I, I was very persistent. In really, yeah, yeah. like making a whole Photoshop of uh, the Fort Pitt Bridge with buyout Scuderi as one of the road signs. Yeah, if only they had bought him out, it would have been perfect. But still, it worked. Oh, out. you'd have been so vindicated. Uh, Jason asks, should we expect the Penguins to be any better since they didn't make any substantive changes to their defense core and traded one of their most productive forwards? 
that's I, I don't really expect him to be better. I don't really expect him to be notably worse. I kind of expect what we saw at the end of the season in the playoffs, a, a team that's very talented, but also has a lot of flaws. I mean, the big X factor, we already said it is Gino. Yeah. If, if he returns to form, he then this can, team... he can cover up a lot of the mistakes and cover up a lot of the problems. Cause I, I mean, for all of the weaknesses that team had last year, realistically the biggest was consistency yeah you didn't know what team was taking the ice on any given night there was nights where they looked like uh, you know despite having some liabilities on this roster they could just find a way to make this work and then there were nights where they didn't even look like they were team worthy of making the playoffs yeah uh last question is from jess now that is the first day of fall which fall food are you looking forward to the most i have a follow-up question also I mean, soups and chili are just elite. Um, it's not a food, but I'm going to say uh, the cold-pressed coffee pumpkin beer. I'm drinking one oh, Drinking one right now. Oh, pumpkin rules. Because I, I can't. And, and that, here's part of the follow-up question. Which fall food do you not eat at all any other time of year? I can't do fall beer during the summer. No. Can't do heavy. I can't do chili, beef stew. During the summer, same thing. All that stuff comes into play. But, like, I, I'm, I'm having my first one of the fall here, and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, when people are like, oh, we have stew or we have chili, and it's, like, July, you're like, why? Yeah. Like, we still got a few months before you got to break that out, pal. Like, I, I don't have time to be heating my whole house via the stove when it's 85 degrees outside. I think that's all I have. All right. You got anything to plug over there? Not at the moment. Any big games coming up on the docket that you're shooting that you're looking forward to? Um, I, I mean, I'm shooting every night this week. Nothing incredibly substantial sticking out. Uh, a lot of the football conferences in the teams that we cover are very unbalanced couple very good teams in each and the rest very bad teams so i've had a lot of blowout games to cover this year um i'm looking forward towards the end of the season get some better games playoffs some more competitive games fair i want to give a quick shout out to uh my team the 2005 allegheny badgers came away with a silver medal in the erie cup two weekends ago Obviously would have liked a gold, but they played really well. And uh, Colin Bush, if you're listening to this episode, get your ass to practice. You shouldn't be listening to podcasts. You should be getting ready to get on the ice. Well, that's going to do it for us, guys. We'll be back hopefully sometime next week or in the next two weeks once Jesse gets back from surveying all the Olive Gardens over in Italy. He'll have a full report on it for us when we get back. And as always, thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.